Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! Against Gil, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! To the Sneaker History Podcast. What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall, and I'm here with my guys, Mike and Robbie. What's going on, fellas? How's it going? Well, not too much, man. It's going good. Happy the week's just about over. How you doing, Robbie? I'm going to sound really weird, but I've been wondering all night what Antonio Banderas is doing right now. Like, what, what he does in his life. So that's literally been on my brain for the past like hour. Like, what is Antonio been? Is he sitting in his underwear on the couch? Is he smoking a cigar on a patio? Is he at a luxury party? I don't know. So if Antonio, if you're listening, what are you doing, man? Let Robbie know, please. So I need to, take, to know. To take this one one step further, uh, I recently had a conversation about. Steven Seagal being a police officer or sheriff or something like that. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I was just thinking like the people, people disappear off the face of the earth so much in terms of like celebrities, right? Because they've got so much tension and then, and then they kind of fall off. But imagine if you got pulled over for speeding and the cop mm-hmm. is Steven Seagal or Antonio Banderas. Like either way, it doesn't really matter. That'd Same so, vein. That'd be so crazy. I'm like, uh, hey, I, I know you. <laughs> right. I'd be like, sir, I don't want to get out of this ticket. Can I have a photo though to prove this moment happened? <laughs> uh, and a copy of the ticket, please. Can I take a, can you uh, sign a it? photo with you sign issuing it? Yeah, like do you do you ask for the ticket? Could you get could you give me a fix a ticket, if nothing else? That way I can at least get your autograph. Yeah, there you go. I mean <laughs> At that point, he's like, crap, never, just go. Just go. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, before we get into the episode, got a little business to take care of. And we want to shout out 718 for leaving us a review on iTunes. Said the show is pretty dope. I came across it while doing research to begin my own podcast. The fact that I can relate to some of the experiences, guests, and names mentioned on the show oh. has definitely fueled the fire and inspired me to continue on in my own sneaker journey. Keep up the work, fellas, and I'll definitely keep tuning in. Maybe I'll have one of, if not all of you guys on my show in the future when I get started. That was uh, Kyle F. Sneaker Addict 426. So shout out to Kyle. That's dope. I'm, I'm going to speak for myself, but I'm down to be on the show and, and have some conversation with you when you get it started. And we appreciate the feedback. This is absolutely what what we hope comes from our conversations is that you guys take it and and run with it and do your own thing and you know let us know what you're doing. It's, it's a party. Nick, we'll all be there. 
I hate to be that guy, but Mike read that one already. We have another new one. We the comments flow oh, over. So we, we, we have quite a double though. He got he got uh, he got lost right. twice on that one. I'll I'll let, I'll let you roll with it then. Let's do <laughs> let's do one more of that. So this comes from Killin Fresh with no vowels, very classy. Um, and I mean that it's cool, no vowels. So um, his comment says, "My favorite interviews are with the people who have worked in the footwear industry and have specific journeys to get there." This podcast asks the questions that I want to ask and has fun doing it. If you're a sneaker guy or gal, please give this group a follow. You should follow this podcast is how it actually ends because I can't read good. (laughs) But you should follow the podcast is what you need to kind of take from that comment. So thank you very much. Killing fresh. I hope you keep the killing fresh always. And and we appreciate the, the feedback. Yeah. Killing them softly. It's all I keep making <laughs> now. Need to play it at the end. Got a uh, got some interesting interesting news uh, that that kind of came out in the last couple of days to get us started. There's this, basically this big doping scandal that's been going on for the past, you know, I don't know, couple months. I guess they've been investigating into this, but it's from years ago, right? I I, I want to say it's from like 2010 or something, 2009. Um, and the New York times reported that, uh, Nike CEO, Mark Parker is kind of roped into this somehow. So, um, I don't know you got one of you guys want to, uh, elaborate. I feel good about it. Um, <laughs> you can quiz me teacher, um, on, on the reading assignment for today. So <laughs> what it basically comes down to is Mark Parker's like, I don't know these people. I'm just kidding. Um, He did. So what happened was um, he was helping, not helping, but in communication with this track coach who was testing the, the threshold for when testosterone would be um, testing as positive on an athlete. So at what level, how much additional testosterone they could give somebody without it being causing a red flag. So like micro dosing, cause testosterone is illegal to add to athletes' bodies. So they were dosing, increasing the dose to, and testing these athletes to see when it would show up. So apparently Mark Parker was on an email chain being like, oh yeah, um, that's good. Like confirming that they're doing that. And it was being done through a Nike group. So um, I believe it's called um, Nike Oregon. Trying to find the exact name of it. Um, it's Nike Oregon. Uh, I had the name earlier. Now I can't remember. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm trying to look at it on my phone and New York Times blocks it on a phone if you don't have the app. Um, but basically a running group that's housed through Nike and Mark Parker was directly involved. With these email chains, though, he's spinning it like he was just confirming, like, oh, that's good. Not, oh, that's good. Let's hey, use it. Was it was the, uh, sorry to interrupt, the Nike Oregon project. Exactly. No, go ahead. Take it over. Is there anything else? No. There? So basically it was, it was headed by um, a gentleman named, oh my God, 
Alberto Salazar. <laughs> so he was a Nike backer running coach and looks like starting between 2009 and 2011, began doing medical experiments to determine the effects of PEDs and how much basically you can put into an athlete's body without being able to be tracked by USADA, which is the anti-doping association that all athletes report to. And um, if I'm not mistaken, Salazar actually used his two adult sons as guinea pigs. Uh, so he had them run on these treadmills and take baseline testosterone levels. And then from there, he added androgels to their backs to, and there was a spike in testosterone. But after they took another urine test, they found that there, there was no difference between the baseline, but there was an actual increase in performance. Um, and just like Robbie said, that Mark Parker was on or allegedly on the emails, kind of going through the results of the experimentation and the trial and error phase here. But now we get to the point of where this is being brought to light. And Mark is kind of like, um, wasn't me. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> but Mark, they even caught you on the counter. <laughs> wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a really weird a weird story because personally, like, you know, I'm going to spin this into something I can relate to being a, a baseball fan and a Barry Bonds fan, a Giants fan, Andro Androgel, which is the, the topical like male hormone that they, that they rub on. Apparently he rubbed on his son's back, whatever. Um, that's also like one, one of the, you know, became a big deal with Barry Bonds back in the day. And it makes me wonder like this being, you know, late 2000, uh, 2009, I think is what it was, but it makes me wonder how much of this goes on or was going on during that time where everybody's clearly, and I'd have to look it up, but thinking, you know, uh, also Lance Armstrong, you know, in that same era of like the, yeah, like the live strong stuff and all of his falling out because of his doping stuff. It just makes me wonder what the what the you know connections were between all of these things because I, I do think that you know the, it, a little bit deeper into the article it basically tries to you know they basically try to say that Mark Parker had no idea that the test was outside of any rules and thought you know there was a medical doctor involved he also thought that quote thought that Mark's understanding was that Alberto was attempting to prevent doping of his athletes. And let's be honest, like you're not, you're not trying to prevent doping. If you're trying to have your kids see how far they can go without breaking the, you know, the limit or without triggering, you know, the test. So it's really, it's really kind of odd. Um, but I thought, it might be interesting to hear what you guys think of this. I, I think I kind of have an, a, a different perspective on testosterone, HGH, which is human growth hormone. There's a lot of this stuff that you can pick up at your local, you know, Whole Foods. And this has kind of always been the case. A lot of this stuff, you know, back, I don't know, like back when I was in high school was readily available. There were plenty of kids taking this stuff. And, you know, whether it was basketball or, or baseball or whatever, like you just had access to it and you could get it at CVS. So it wasn't 
there wasn't like this big like legality thing around it the way that it has become over the past you know 20 30 years and i think that like the biggest flaw in a lot of the gray area of dopings quote doping um comes from just a lack of consistency now if you're let's say you're in let's say you're in high school right and you want to play professional basketball professional baseball whatever it doesn't matter runner you go to the store you're like okay cool like i've been hitting the gym i'm taking you know something like ephedra which is now illegal in the states but 20 30 years ago was not or you know whatever those supplements are but you can buy them at cvs so or buy them at you know 24 hour fitness where you're working out whatever the case may be you can buy testosterone you can buy hgh you can buy these things over the counter without any kind of regulation now you've started your you know you know you started your progress into you know sports you're taking this stuff you're playing at a certain level because you started taking this stuff and and you're seeing the results so you're going to continue taking it right so now you've gone through high school and you hit college college may or may not have the same rules so now everything you've done to prepare yourself to get to that level gets thrown out the window because there might be some form of you know illegal use of that substance or maybe not a lot of a lot of it still is legal at that level and you know i don't have specifics but a lot of these things have a lot of gray area now you make it through college and you get to the pros but the pros say hey you can't take testosterone you can't take hgh those things are illegal and we test for them every 90 days well how do you maintain your level of you know athletic ability when everything you've built over the you know 10 15 20 years of of growing to become an athlete is now is now the rules now changed around it and i ask that because just to kind of play devil's advocate because i think there's a lot of a lot of this this is something to me that is is equally as you know an issue for college and pro and like young professional athletes as the getting paid for for being an athlete in college right like there's so many loopholes there's so many rules and regulations and there's so much inconsistency to those rules and regulations that it makes it almost impossible for people to 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 really like be successful with those you know new things in place as they move up through you know kind of the the sports system any thoughts yeah so i mean i i, I mean i i'm big into like i was big into sports as a you know a kid um and then you know I, i'm big and still like staying in shape and whatnot now but if you go look at the supplements and things like i'll go buy supplements from what you know whatever you know total nutrition whatever it may be uh gnc but the thing with the with the supplements and things like that, um, one thing is funny. I did see one. I was just kind of browsing around. There's actually one. It, I can't remember what it was, but it was basically a uh, uh, like it was a I think it was a weight gainer. Just uh, and it was basically. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's a testosterone booster, so it can like so you didn't need pre workout. And it literally says um, not you know not illegal 
uh, for competitions, not traceable, so on and so forth. It's not basically saying is that hey, you can take this and not get in trouble. But I, what people don't realize, I feel like that these supplements are supposed to be a means to end just to kind of get you a jump start, and then you got to keep up the work. And because if you look at the bottles, there's an instruction at the very end. It says there's usually between um, don't take for any longer than like 90 days. And I've seen some for don't take for any longer, you know, up to like four months. So you're supposed to put this like supposed to put this in your body, do the work. And then after those, you know, X amount of days when you finish the bottle, you should be able to like to level out on your own and be able to, you know, keep going. But to get to a point that people just like the results so much. And like what their body is doing, they just get like, oh, what's the next thing I can put in my body to keep going? But it's just that's more of the I feel like is dangerous factor, because if you put if you don't follow those rules and you keep going, that's that stuff will like tear up your liver and your kidneys and stuff. So that's my only thing about it. Like if you do it, just do it. How like the legal things do them how to instruct us. So you're not hurting yourself in the long run just to get the reward that you see now. So just keep putting in work because I feel like some, some athletes, yes, they do it to actually get their bodies right. Then some people do it because they don't want to put in the same work as, you know, the guy next to them. So I think it's a double-edged sword. It just depends on who's using it and why they're using it. Well, you just brought up when people are knowingly putting those in their body, mm-hmm. like this doctor here tried to say he was doing the test to make sure nobody came up and put like topical ointment on the athletes, you know, just some like bogus. Oh, what if someone tries to like sabotage my guy by making him faster? And maybe <laughs> positive. Um, like it's just BS. And a lot of the things you can get from like GNC or, you know, CVS, they're not all the ingredients aren't there in there. Aren't, aren't regulated. Like it could say mm-hmm. that there's, not any of chemical X and there is, and you turn into a power puff girl. Like, <laughs> there could be some stuff in there you're putting in your body and you just have no idea. And it's such a slippery slope. It can give all those liver problems. Like you were just saying, Mike, um, not saying, you know, Zoe morning was doping, but he had liver problems from like taking ibuprofen apparently yeah. way too much. Like, what you put your body's a temple. So like what you put in it might give you temporary boosts, but there's long-term health effects. You need to stay, you need to stay keen to my, did Barry Bonds, he never had like a signature Nike, right? No, no. I want to know. He did it. No, he didn't. Uh, not signature Nikes. He, he had signature um, feelings for a while. I mean, didn't Frank Thomas yeah. get caught using PEDs? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, that's the thing, like, there's a lot of, you know, baseball is, is the, the perfect wrong example of how to handle PEDs and, and steroids, because the rules have always been very gray and the testing has always been very gray. So there's always been like, you know, the, the, you know, it's, it's been a regular thing and they never addressed it. They knew it was going on in the eighties, you know, and like, it just, it spiraled out of control because so many people were doing it. Like, how do you punish some people, but not punish others? And, you know, what, what are the d- defined, you know, characteristics or, or, you know, 
supplements that are actually against the, the you know league rules. What what I find interesting, you know, just in in terms of baseball, right? The '80s were you know like <laughs> filled with cocaine, and you know players played on co- you know like Daryl Strawberry and, and Dwight Gooden. A lot of the Yankees players, Steve Howe got banned from the league, you know, suspended for years off and on. There was a lot of this going on. And, you know, to me, like that's clearly a substance that you wouldn't want your players playing on. Right. It just seems like duh, no brainer, like cocaine is illegal. Why would you let players use it? But there was a lot of like just turning of heads and blind eye kind of thing. And I even think that it goes back to baseball way back in the day with like Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was known to be like drinking beer, you know, a much yeah, a much better player when he was drinking. So, you know, like why would you not? You know, like it's a little bit different because it's a, a legal substance, but it's still the same kind of thing. So, like I think like the standard and like the um expectation for players was always has always been you know a very like moving target in baseball um and i'm not justifying it i don't i you know i think that you know people people risk their you know health for athletic performance all the time if that's your thing and you want to be a professional athlete i honestly don't care how you want to go about doing it it's your life I am just against people doing it, lying about it or doing it and encouraging, you know, younger kids to do things without having the, you know, kind of conversation around like these people are role models, whether they choose to be role models or not. Right. It's that old Charles Barkley, you know, Nike ad. It doesn't matter if he wants to be a role model or not by being an athlete by being a celebrity, by being paid to entertain, you are like an example for young kids. You can say that you're not a role model and you can turn it into a marketing thing. I think that's dope. But the reality is like people are going to, kids are going to look up to you. And if you're doing these things that are potentially harmful to your body or to somebody else, if they choose to do them because they saw you doing them, then I think you should just be transparent about that and and say like, Hey, you're doing this at, you know, a risk to your own health in the long run, because that's the thing that is, you know, missing. And to, I say all that to, to like, as much as this looks really bad for Mark Parker, I also think that the way that they're handling it and saying like, you know, the way that they handled all of the doping stuff that's come out over the years, right. Whether it was Lance Armstrong, Marion Jones, it's always been Nike's position to distance themselves from anybody that is caught. I don't fault that at all. I think that, you know, there's a lot of companies that should be distancing themselves from people that are, you know, like flagrant, flagrantly just false idols, so to speak in the, you know, influencer world. But I think that the hardest part about this is the kind of um the the kind of like dismissive nature of it now i wanted to say like the the one thing that mark parker said in the email and the way that he worded this is spot on right he basically says this is a quote 
that he sent to company employees on Tuesday, it says, Nike did not participate in any effort to systematically dope any runners ever. The very idea makes me sick. I definitely believe that. I don't think that that is, that means that they're totally innocent, right? Their job is to have the greatest athletes on the face of the planet wearing Nike product. If there are competitive advantages out there, it's also their job to research those competitive advantages and choose whether to pursue any of those things. So that said, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, bro. Want, to harp, I don't want to harp on Nike too much, but this is a very like a very gray area and not Agreed. a good look for, for them in this situation. It's like, yeah, it makes you sick, Mark, but you, know you should be sick often then because like you, you, you know what's going on. Uh, right. Um, and I'm just thinking of like you said mostly the MLB. Todd, what was that Oakland quarterback? Marvanovich or. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, Todd Marinovich. Marinovich. Yeah. Yes. He was on like hella drugs the morning before and then shows up on Sunday and does poorly and gets kicked out of the league. But just like people like, oh, they're not role models or whatnot. I mean, you ultimately are. So keep that in mind, famous people listening. Yeah, and I would even, you know, I would even say that even if you're not famous, you're a role model to somebody, whether you like it or not. That's just how we are as humans. We all interact and we all you know, take and, and give from each, you know, to and from each other. And I think that, you know, honesty is the best policy, you know, like it's one thing to be an incredible athlete, but it's also not worth, you know, like Lance Armstrong is the, is the, is a prime example of that, right? Here's the guy who essentially became the greatest cyclist in the history of cycling only to lose all of that stuff because he was basically scamming everybody with, you know, his doping stuff and having his blood taken out and re-put in and all these crazy things in order for him to work the system. And at the end of the day, you know, like I, I, I respect what he's accomplished regardless of how he got there physically and athletically. But at the end of the day, he's not somebody that is going to have the respect of most people because of the way that he did it. And, it's still he's still going to be one of those people that, you know, is looked up to in cycling by, in some regards because of, you know, there's still value in him. I don't want to dismiss him as a person, but like there's still value in what he's done for the sport of cycling, the attention that he brought to it, the excitement that he brought to it. And you can't you can't say that it wasn't worth that because, you know, for for many people, he was the reason that they got on a bike and started riding. And there's a lot of value, you know, in the bigger picture for society and for humanity if he, you know, regardless of his doping stuff. But, um, you know, it is what it is. So shifting gears into a little more positive news for Nike and for all of us. Uh, I saw this. I saw this about a week ago, but uh, this post popped up uh, on my Instagram feed by the Air Vegan, which is kind of amazing uh, name. 
And he says that this week, Nike opened their newest distribution facility in Belgium. The facility is completely powered by renewable energy, including wind, solar, geothermal, hydroelectric, and biomass power. In, sorry, in 2016, Nike said it wanted to double the size of its business while cutting its environmental impact in half. The move comes as the company pushes forward with its goal of achieving zero carbon operations by 2025 and eliminating waste from its supply chain. The facility's location close to a network of canals enables 99% of inbound containers to reach the local container park by water and eliminates the use of 14,000 truck journeys per year, according to Nike's estimation. And all this is great, noble, and deserves a round of applause, but this shouldn't be an exception to how global brands expand operations. It should be the rule. And for all of the welcomed conversations I have on my non-sponsored allegiance to Nike, it's initiatives like this that shine a light on their best trait, leaders in innovation. It goes on to say so a, a lot more, but um, the Air Vegan is the, the account on Instagram. We'll link to it in the description. But I mean, the facility looks incredible. There's, you know, just I mean, I'm just I'm impressed by the same the same things that this guy is saying and, you know, hope that we can get to a point where that becomes the norm instead of the exception. But this is the kind of thing that that really does, in my opinion, like push. Not just Nike as a brand to the forefront of footwear, because, you know, we talked about on a, on recent episodes, both Nike and Adidas doing these things. But I think this, to me, is more about footwear and apparel and sportswear and the way that this part of fashion for us as humans can really drive change on a much bigger scale. The coolest thing of all of that is the waterway, how it's like next to ducks and such. Like, I'm just imagining big containers like full of Travis Scott's floating down a river. That's not literally how it goes, but that's just such a cool thing. And I really do hope companies start moving towards this. I mean, everybody can talk about sustainability, but then are you really about it? Are you really about shaving off 14,000 truck trips a year? Like that's some real progress. So, and, and of course it doesn't happen in the uh, in america that would never happen here it has to happen in belgium um waffles and good factories apparently that's what, what they're giving us <laughs> but um i mean just thinking about how companies put the you know the facade of sustainability up nike really has been doing a lot both with materials processes and now development i mean like warehousing that's amazing um, Starbucks is over here getting rid of plastic straws, but every time they close down a Starbucks location, they destroy all the equipment. They literally put it in a landfill, all the coffee machines, everything from that shop gets canned. So cool. You're shaving off the plastic from the straws, but you're landfilling a whole store worth of junk. So it's cool that Nike's taking incremental steps towards their goal. It's not just saying, oh yeah, six years from now we're gonna be um zero, you know, you know, zero emissions. But 2025 comes, oh yeah, give us give us five more years. Give us 
X more time. It's good to see real tangible progress. So kudos. Maybe yeah. they're on steroids making them. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, now they're saving money from the electric bill and now they can buy more steroids. But um, now, I mean, it's cool because I mean, we, we live here. We got to we got to keep this place around as long as we can. So the fact that one of the biggest companies in the world is taking like steps to be more sustainable, knowing that they can use a lot of waste or produce a lot of waste, I should say. Um, I mean, it's cool. I mean, we, of course, everything, there's going to be good and bad. I mean, we showed the bad, now they've done something good. I mean, that doesn't excuse the bad, but at least it's not all bad, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, totally. most definitely. So, uh, kind of shifting gears into, like, the main topic that we wanted to talk about tonight, and that is... Uh, I guess t- two parts, kind of. Kyle Kuzma signed a deal with Puma, and uh, pretty pretty decent deal. What five years? I think twenty mil. Twenty mil, probably some yeah some perks yeah. on top of that. But um, meet, meet the finals, you get some more money. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know I mentioned on a on an episode before. Kuz around here in LA is really a big deal like he there's you know he's involved with a lot more than just sneakers with a lot more than just basketball and you see him around a lot um so i think that the interesting thing about this um aside from you know kind of the 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 forgotten puma athletes which we'll get into in a little bit is this the you know the fact that the goat deal that happened uh you know a couple of years ago or was it i guess it was one year ago so october 2018 was when he signed his deal with goat and it was a year-long deal um and I, you know anybody that's worked in the sneaker business or paid attention to the sneaker business in, in terms of in its relationship to basketball i think looks at that and wonders kind of what what happened and how come we didn't see more of it but it really to me it's really interesting to see it as like a stepping stone to another brand because i don't think that most people pay attention to the smaller brands right there's and you know it's not that puma is really a small brand or anything but like the reality is most people look at Nike and Jordan brand and Adidas and everything else is kind of like a distant, you know, thought. And I'm curious to know if the relationship with goat actually helped like Kuzma see the, 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 the possibilities out there with other brands, because you know, they, they didn't they didn't showcase a lot of what he was wearing. There wasn't a lot of conversation around goat, uh, you know, through through the season, although like he, he did wear some some stuff off the court that was, you know, I would say impressive to a lot of people just because it's not, you know, your typical. You know, like like LeBron or KD is always going to wear the, the most hype stuff no matter what. And, you know, with Kuz. And his relationship with goat you know he he i'm 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 pretty sure i saw him in you know off whites 
Yeezys, like a variety of things over that over the course of the year. And I wonder like how much that impacted this kind of decision. But also I just wonder like if the partnership with GOAT or potential partnerships with any other secondary market platforms like StockX or the Real Real or you know eBay doesn't really matter. Um if if there was more experience involved in that in terms of like product seeding and people that had worked for the brands, if it could have been more successful, if it could have been turned into a much bigger um uh, you know success story for goat because i'm sure that you guys have seen it and i'm sure listeners have seen plenty of people do the like different shoe for every day 365 days now i'm not suggesting that like Kuz post 365 photos of the shoes that he's wearing but they absolutely could have hired somebody or had somebody from goat posting on his behalf to his accounts and done a really crazy crazy marketing campaign um but I don't know. Do you guys think, do you think that it was a missed opportunity or do you think that it's just like the nature of the beast and, and now he's on to like a more traditional big time partnership with Puma? I think that they had to be a stepping stone because although they're, they're popular clearly, but they don't have the, the money to sustain an athlete, you know, cause he was looking for a bigger deal. Guarantee he wanted more money to see everybody else with these sneaker deals. Like, of course, he loves shoes. He had to pretty much wear whatever he wanted that was in their inventory. But now he got a legitimate contract. And I think, hey, if you're starting out, like, just get your name out there. I think it's a good good deal to to do a, a sponsorship with a store because at that point, you're going to you get to put whatever you want, whatever on your feet. The different brands will get to see you with your shoe, with their shoes on your feet. And, I mean, Kuzma kind of blew up over the year. He became so known like he became a pretty decent player he's getting better as the time goes on he's well known and loved in la like one if not the biggest market in basketball next to new york uh so i, I think it just depends on what the type of player you are your presence and i mean what kind of deal you're looking for because i mean clearly kuzma wants to be a star in the league and he's he's possibly well on his way um and it was just it it, it was natural for i think a bigger deal with a single brand to come along in Kuzma's eyes, he's a big star. And I think if you're playing in L.A. and you're expected to like fill out a big three, so to speak, you should have that kind of bravado. And he's kind of been building up that confidence since, since his rookie year, pretty much. I think the GOAT, the whole GOAT situation was a huge missed opportunity. I forgot every time that he even had that partnership until somebody told me, or I read it again to yeah. be reminded. It always felt like he's wearing Nikes anyway. He only wore Nikes on the court for whatever option. He had all the options of goat and he still rocked pretty much stock Nikes. And Nike was featuring him with like Nike by you options. You can pick a Nike Kobe AD and they have like a, a stock customed idea. They do with all the athletes by DeMar DeRozan, by um, Jason Tatum, et cetera. So he was in Nike marketing while being at GOAT 
while exclusively wearing Nike. So it was like really convoluted. Like no, I never really caught on to what he was trying to do there. And with the bravado he has, he doesn't want to be the 14th, 15th man on a Nike roster. So why not be arguably the biggest star in terms of market? I mean, Puma also has RJ Barrett, who's in New York. And if he ends up being what they think he's going to be, a, a potential all-star, he could be the biggest you know, Puma draw. Right. DeAndre Eaton is easily the best player on Puma, but he plays on a shitty Phoenix team that nobody cares about. Like Marvin Bagley, I don't think he starts all the games. He's really good, uh, but he's playing in Sacramento role-playing minutes. So Kuzma saw the opportunity. He has the stage of Los Angeles. And now he's securing that bag to kind of have, have a definitive lane. So when you think Kyle Kuzma, you think Puma. You don't think Nike, oh yeah, there's a GOAT deal. This is ex- exclusively Puma, name recognition. And Nick, you probably didn't drive past it. There's that huge bull, um, um, billboard that has Kuz and then M-A in the Puma logo, but K-U-Z in his logoing. And it just, it fits. Like everything's going to be really good. And I think it's, it's going to be a really good partnership. Good move. I think it's a it's a great move. Um, and Mike brought up a point that I didn't really consider um, the the amount of money that you're going to get from, a, you know, a goat or any other secondary platform where the, they just don't have the the, you know, funds to to really compete with somebody that has the star factor um, because. You know, I think we hear all the stories of like, oh, you know, goat raised goat got a hundred million dollars from Foot Locker, StockX raised a hundred million dollars, and they're now worth a billion. Like that doesn't mean they actually have that money. Like they got to they got to spend that money. You know, for the most part, most of the companies have to spend it smart, and they have to be intelligent about the way that they kind of move the chess pieces around. So, you know, if let's say you know, just to super simplify it, I know this is not how it actually works, but let's say Foot Locker invests a hundred million dollars in GOAT, they can't turn around and give twenty million to Coos and expect that to actually make sense for them fiscally as a as a com- company. So um I, I think that, you know I, I think you make a good point about the the Puma roster, right? They've got a lot of a lot of guys, you know, um, I, although, you know, I feel like you kind of were dismissive of, uh, Marvin Bagley, but you know, it's understandable, I guess. <laughs> um, no, I, I think, you know, he, you're right. He didn't start most, most games, but you know, he's average probably close to 15 a game. And I think, you know, this year you'll probably see him be more of a star. And I think, you know, as much as I love Sacramento and I'm a Kings fan, it's it's a small market comparatively, you know, so he's always going to going to be, you know, second on the list compared to a lot of people, um, unless he comes out and, you know, wins a dunk contest or something like that. Um, but I think Coos, I think that the, the value for Coos is, you know, like you said, Robbie, he's a part of, he, you know, he's, he's a part of the big three in LA in a sense. And, 
that in itself is exponentially more valuable being connected to, you know, the Lakers, the energy that's in LA right now for basketball on, on both sides, like the Lakers and Clippers and all, I mean, the next, this season is going to be regardless of, of how the teams play will be one of the best seasons of basketball in Los Angeles. Even if the teams lose most of their games, because there's just a whole lot of energy. There's a whole lot of back and forth between the fans. And really, like, it's just going to be a fun time to watch basketball in Los Angeles. So um, that said, like, I think that, you know, we we t- we talked a little bit before we got started. It's. So the roster, the current roster for Puma, right, you know, includes guys like Kuz. Marvin Bagley, the third, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, DeAndre Ayton. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of good players and potentially a lot of great players on that list. But I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is how many like amazing players actually played in Puma throughout the years. So we want to kind of revisit some of the I guess just, you know some of Puma's best, yeah, some of Puma's best players. So um, I don't know you guys want to take a stab at at some of this. Uh, man, the one that I came to mind that I completely forgot about, uh, Vince Carter was on Puma before he switched over to Nike, and and and, and one, yeah, so he was on Puma first, I think. He was yeah. Puma before all. Um, Alex English, one of the best scorers of all time that gets left out of every conversation. I think if he played in 2019, he put up 30 points a game without God, really Andy trying. Played in like those amazing Nuggets jerseys. Oh, yeah. Dude, some of the best jerseys of all time. Um, Ralph Sampson, the twin tower to Hakeem. He was, I mean, if you're watching basketball in the 80s, you know exactly who Ralph Sampson is. But without a doubt, the best player of all of Puma, easily Isaiah Thomas, right? We're in the Palace Guards. I can't stand Isaiah Thomas. Shout out Lakers. But <laughs> you, you cannot deny how good he was, how pestering, how tenacious he was on defense. And he did, did it all with high top Pumas on. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, I'm not a big Isaiah Thomas fan either I guess because I just felt like he was always just like I don't know I I put him up there with John Stockton like I feel like anybody that's just like pesky annoying and doesn't really have like a lot of respect for other players you know like I don't want to say that they're completely dirty but they're at least stepping in the mud way too much so (laughs) they want to win yeah, I mean, I, I, so, you know, those are those are obviously some great names. Um, before we go too far, we obviously should, you know, acknowledge Walt Frazier. He's got mm-hmm. you know, the Puma Clyde, the Puma Suede, like obviously one of the best players probably the game has ever seen. So, um, but uh, the the other one that, that, you know, popped up while we were looking earlier, Cedric Sabalos. Uh, I mean, I don't remember if Cedric 
won the dunk contest in Pumas. But I mean, I definitely associate the his dunk contest win with Puma for some reason. Um, I'll have to look that up, but yeah, it looks looks like he's wearing Nikes in the dunk contest. Scratch that. Totally wrong. Um, he's wearing, mind, he's wearing yes. Nikes for sure, but um, I, for some reason, I remember him in in Pumas more than I remember him in Nikes, but maybe I'm just weird. <laughs> kind of like Sean Kemp. You never remember he wore Nikes before he was on Reebok. Huh. See, I didn't know that. Hey, you know what he actually wore, too? Shout out to the Flight 89. Oh. <laughs> How's that quality, Nick? Oh, How's God. that treating you? Oh, you know what? Okay, if anybody wants to create a, a product, so there's there's plenty of cool sneaker products out there, right? I think we all have our favorite cleaners and deodorizers and insoles and all these things. I want to make a fake leather conditioner that makes fake leather feel like real leather. Can we, can somebody invent that? All right. So there actually may be something that can help with that. And it's not even from a sneaker brand, it's from a shoe brand, but I actually has some of it. It's a leather conditioner, but the shoe uh-huh. brand Aldo makes a sneaker or a leather conditioner. And I've used it on a couple pairs of like dress shoes, but then I've also used it on a couple pairs of just like sneakers just to test it out. It actually like softens up uh, a decent amount. All right. All right. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. See, I'm over here like Nike needs to use better leather. I mean, that's the easy out, but I mean, they're not going to put better leather in the 489. They're not trying to use real leather for that environmental purpose. They're killing fake So we can't be mad at it. Yeah. uh, I mean, it's totally off on a tangent, but it's definitely it was definitely disappointing to get those and and see the quality on them i think that i mean i love the shoe and and i will probably wear them anyway but it i would love to pay i would love to pay a little more and get a a much better quality shoe um or material on it but um getting back to the puma conversation there was a couple other players that that uh came up that i thought were interesting terry cummings um played for the Milwaukee Bucks, made the All-Star game in 80, 1985 and was wearing Pumas. And then the same year, Manute Bull, rest in peace, also wore Pumas. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll post some, some pictures up, some of these guys. Uh, we'll link to the article from the Undefeated that was from earlier this year that went through a lot of this stuff. But uh, one of the things that stood out in that, because obviously Vince Carter is you know, probably as far as sneakers goes, he's the, you know, pinnacle player in that. And it was November 99 that, uh, or sorry, December of 1999 that Puma announced that Vince Carter had terminated his 10 year, $50 million deal that he signed with the brand in 1998. So it's kind of crazy that it took, you know, a year or less to I mean I guess it could be a little bit longer but took basically a year for him to a 10 year 50 million dollar deal like to put that in perspective that's the same per year value that Kuz is getting now in 1999 20 years ago 
he was getting five million a year. That yeah, that's huge money back then. Um, but obviously, it didn't didn't work out. Um, I, I don't know that. I like it's kind of mind blowing. Big money. Yeah. And they're working their way back up. So, I mean, I'm sure you'll see if this continues to go the way that they're expecting it to. I'm sure you're going to see those contracts expand and get bigger. Um, but I just realized now that three of the, the, the bigger athletes for Puma now are all on the same team. You have Danny Green, DeMarcus Cousin, Kyle Kuzma, all in the Lakers. And Danny Green. Yeah, we just won a championship. So, a lot of our listeners probably aren't old enough to to remember the '80s, but maybe some some of you are uh, as gray haired as I am, and seasoned. <laughs> seasoned, yeah, <they're, laughs> uh, just vintage. Just this, this, according to the undefeated, Ralph Sampson had twelve variations of his signature on court and lifestyle shoes. Thinking about like the way that works back then that's in the 80s you know 12 variations of a, of you know shoes now is nothing right like that's you know entry level but like back then that's a lot of options like they were selling a lot of shoes and the fact that they were able to get you know isaiah thomas to leave his his converse weapons and switch to puma towards the end of that run 89 90 season you know, like this is like peak Detroit bad boys era basketball. So that's a huge win for them to have been able to score Isaiah Thomas. Um, and then the one thing that I thought was really dope, and I'll see if I can find this uh, episode or something to share on social. But according to the undefeated, the first season in the first during the first season of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, Isaiah Thomas made a cameo challenging will smith on a game of one-on-one while wearing a pair of asics and it's kind of crazy like like that's 1990 you're talking about puma signing isaiah thomas in 1989 so it really sounds like puma kind of just crashed 89 90 and then did the same thing again, nineteen ninety nine with Vince Vince Carter. So yeah. that said, hopefully, you know, this all these partnerships now and this return to basketball actually brings them, you know, kind of back to a competitive place with basketball shoes. And I hope history did not repeat itself. Yeah, and before joining um joining um Nike, Serena Williams actually was a Puma athlete. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. And I'm thinking back now, I was watching some of her old, old events, like when she was still a teenager. Yeah, she she wore Puma for a little while, and uh, ends as the Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah, I know that. So did Kim Kardashian? No, I'm kidding. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I made that up. <laughs> One of the things that Kuz said about his Puma deal is that the way that they handled Nipsey Hussle's kind of legacy and continued on with his product line. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, being in LA, that's a huge thing. If you're, you know, like, I mean, it still like gets me in my feelings when I think about Nipsey or when I listen to his music, cause he was such a, he just made such a difference here 
and you can't go anywhere without seeing, you know, murals or artwork or, you know, just things to kind of commemorate him and his legacy. And that to me is a really underrated piece of this whole story of Ku's signing with Puma, because I think that, you know, when you have people that understand the bigger picture, it really makes you want to be around those people more. And if that's the case, like it seems to be with Puma right now, it's not a surprise that, you know, they're able to sign coups. It's not a surprise that they've got, you know, a lot of other people, you know, kind of hopping on board and partnering with them. I think uh also saw G Easy, right? Within the last couple of days announced he was signed. Not that he's on the level of Nipsey Hustle, but um, <laughs> Bay Area dude. So like I, I've obviously watched watched him come up for the past decade or whatever it's been. And it's just cool to see, you know, the kind of two sided lifestyle, culture, basketball, all these things kind of being put in the, you know, in the basket, so to speak, for Puma. Yeah, definitely making waves. I mean, they're signing entertainers, signing athletes, um, doing great at the whole social media campaigning. So if they can keep up the product, I'm really interested to see this new sneaker coming out in, I think, two weeks is the, the Puma Hardwood. Looks like a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty decent shoe, both on and off court. So, And the best thing is, I mean, fingers crossed, there's been no reported injuries of anybody in the shoe, which is probably the best thing you can ask for when you're getting right back into the basketball game after so long. So, Wait, DeMarcus hurt his leg, though. He's wearing... I'm kidding. Oh, I mean, he's just... Okay. He's a whole different issue. Though. Like, his legs are falling off to begin with. Like, no one ever... Which is good. It's actually surprising. No one uh, said, oh, it's the Pumas. They just knew that, oh, he's, he's kind of falling apart. Mm-hmm. But typically, I mean, Derrick Rose got hurt. Oh, it must have been the Adidas. I'm like, huh? What? Like, how do you blame it on the shoe? Or, you know, this person gets hurt. It was their shoes. Lonzo got hurt his ankles or well, was his shoes, but <laughs> that was a different story. I don't think that people really think that 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 the shoes have anything to do with the, the you know, the injuries that happen. But it will be interesting to see how that all plays out, because, you know, as much as it probably has nothing to do with it, the perception is all that really matters. So. Yeah, it's always perception. Shoe has nothing to do with it, unless the shoe decides to ex- like somehow just miraculously explode. But I don't see that as being a, you know, just people want to blame something, and they're always, it's always easy to look at the shoes for some reason. Yeah, must be the shoe. Um, <laughs> so last last little tidbit on Puma. It says that the company went into arbitration with the Raptors star. Vince Carter and reached a settlement that required him to pay Puma approximately 13.5 million in damages for breach of contract, plus an additional 1 million in lawyer fees. At the end of at the end of it all, Vince Carter earned about 36 and a half million in the 471 days he spent with Puma. Oh, he's fine. He's okay. (laughs) What are you guys looking at this week? Anything uh, on your radar? Any new stuff that you're excited to see or or interested in? Nothing per se new, but something I finally got my hands on that I'm waiting patiently, which is 
to get my hand, like to come in the mail, which is I, I, I was able to scoop up a pair of the, I guess the Milwaukee Bucks color of the uh, undefeated Kobe four for like 15 bucks under retail. So I'm super excited about those. Nice. How about you, Robbie? So mine is actually not a shoe. It's the Bape Laker jersey dropping exclusively at Bape Los Angeles on October 5th. So if anybody, <laughs> Nick, um, <laughs> around the Los Angeles area with a size large, I'll pay you for it. <laughs> I just heard the heck of it. That thing is so sick. It's just like I like that Bape camo when it's in a dark print, like mono color. Oh, dope. Yeah, that's my thing. How much they charge it for? Like 150, 200? Probably like three. <laughs> Probably. Oh, God. I'll pay it though. Like, damn, that thing's dope. Like, it's good the- I need that. I need it. What you got, Nick? What you looking for? Oh, man. I mean, I. I've basically been eyeing all these Reebok Pump Furies, Insta Pump Furies, uh, the ones with the boost. And uh, they've got this whole line of like uh, inspired colorways based on like the Court Victory Pump and the like the Shack, the Shack Attack. So mm-hmm. seeing all those colors on the Pump Fury to me is super dope. I would love to pick up as many as I can, to be honest. But it looks like a lot of them are releasing. In Japan, so. dude, yeah, those boosts. I think they're Japan exclusive for a minute until they, what, probably a couple months out. Yeah, like the 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 Fury samples say they'll release in in November. Um, which I'm I'm you know I can be patient. Hopefully, twelve size twelve thirteen somewhere yeah. in there is is actually released because a lot of times with Pump Furies like they don't go that large because it's just not a shoe that sells well in you know the U.S. I think a lot of people have that same, you know, Robbie talked about it on a previous episode. Just a lot of people just feel like it's not a shoe they can rock because it's so kind of out there. But I don't know. I just like wearing weird stuff and having people ask what the hell that is. Kind of thing. What's wrong so, with that? But um, yeah. it's a conversation piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's that's what it's all about for me is like the conversation piece. If 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 it can spark some conversation, I'm all about it. So uh, that pretty much wraps it up. Thanks for everybody for listening. Um, my name's Nick Engvall. You can catch me at Nick Engvall on all platforms. But more importantly, we're almost to 50,000 followers on Instagram for the Sneaker History account. So give us give us some love. If you're not following us on, on uh, Instagram, it's at Sneaker History. We'd love to uh, continue the conversation there with you. And also make sure you're following Mike and Robbie. Guys, how can they find, find you? Yep. Find me on Sneaker History. Find me on Instagram, Twitter at MadWatcher789. If you're looking for high quality cat content along with shoes, you can find me and my cat at R-A-H-B-E-E-702. Right on. We appreciate you all for listening and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Meow. What up, y'all? This is Nick again. Before you take off, I just want to thank you again for listening to this episode of the Sneaker History Podcast. Remember, you can save 15% on Shrine Co. bags with the code HISTORY15 at the website theshrine.co. 
T-H-E-S-H-R-I-N-E dot C-O. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. And if you want even more sneaker history content, join our Patreon page for exclusive episodes and merchandise. As always, thank you for the support, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.